guys are, are here and that you're joining us today. It's hard to believe that we are already coming to the, the end of our series in the book of Jonah. This is, this is the final chapter, the final week of our study throughout the book of Jonah, and hopefully you have benefited from this as much as I have. Like This book has really opened my eyes and, and really challenged me in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that we've talked about throughout this entire series is how we need to be reading the book of Jonah with the Bible in one hand and a mirror in the other. Like we have to be reading this book with a mirror in order to see, like, see ourselves in the story and kind of see like how this really applies to us and affects our lives. And so with that in mind, this week I was reading some research about the importance of mirrors, and I was just reading about how the, the uh, beauty industry depends on mirrors a lot. And so I was just reading about how if women, so just women from America and Canada, so women from just two countries, if they quit using any beauty products, any makeup or stuff like that, and also dieting pills or dieting plans for one week. So women from two countries quitting beauty products and dieting plans and pills for one week, the entire world economy would crash. Like, it says that it would crash like it is right now with, with COVID or like it was when, when 9-11 attacks happened in the States. Like, the whole world economy would crash after one week. That's how much mirrors matter to, to our economy. So without mirrors, like, the world would, would actually be bankrupt. And in a lot of ways, without mirrors, we would be spiritually bankrupt. If we refuse and are unable to hold up a mirror and actually look in the mirror with, with things going on in our lives, then we are going to be spiritually bankrupt. And so as we've walked through this series, today in chapter 4, it's probably the most difficult one to actually look at ourselves in the mirror. It's actually probably the most difficult one to say, yeah, that's me. Like in chapter 1. Going the opposite direction, like Jonah does from what God tells him to do, I think every single one of us would raise our hands and be like, yeah, I've done that. And I don't think we'd be too ashamed or too embarrassed by that, or, or weak too. Like when we're dealing with the consequences of our sin and we pray, I think absolutely every single one of us would raise our hand for that. And, and last week, chapter 3, when we, we talked about Jonah finally doing what, what God had called him to do, I think every single one of us would raise our hands it said, I've done that. I've been there. Or with the Ninevites, like the need to repent. Every single one of us, without much shame, without much, much shame, many of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, that's been me. But as we read through chapter 4, when we read about the hatred, the bigotry, the racism, the nationalism that Jonah expresses here, and the, what he displays here, I don't think many of us want to raise our hands. I don't think many of us want to raise our hands saying, yeah, I have begged God to destroy an entire city. I have begged God to destroy an entire people group. I don't think many of us want to raise our hands for that. And just because it's more difficult to look, ourselves in, look at ourselves in the mirror doesn't mean that we shouldn't. In a lot of ways, like this chapter forces us to take a really hard and painful look in the mirror. It's painful to see what Jonah does in this chapter. And it may be painful for us to look at ourselves in the mirror and see the way that this actually looks a lot like us, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. If, if anything, it means we should even more. And so as we read through the book of Jonah, like what we're going to quickly find out is like Jonah is not a hero that we should try to be modeling our lives around. Like Jonah has a lot of issues. 
just like me, just like you. He, but he's, he, he doesn't have a ton of redeemable qualities, especially in chapter 4. Like chapter 4, there's not a whole lot of good that we can say, hey, that's really good of Jonah. Like there's very few qualities. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to, to Jonah 4, chapter 1. We, we ended last week in, in chapter 3, verse 10, where God sees the repentance of the people of Nineveh and he relents. He doesn't carry out the destruction that he has threatened. And that's where it sets us up where we are today in chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate God, slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. You were eager, eager to turn back from destroying the people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, that's me? Anybody like looking at that part in the mirror and saying, hey, that's probably me? And this, this, is, this, is, this is a mess. Like, Jonah is, is really struggling here. If there is one redeemable quality about Jonah in chapter 4, it is the fact that he prays. At least he does, like, bring this to God, bring his emotion to God. And it's just a reminder for us that prayer isn't a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. And a lot of times when we bring these painful emotions or, or these difficult things that we're dealing with, when we bring them to God, what he does in, in this time of prayer is he, he helps us to work through those emotions. And that's what God tries to do for Jonah. And it's a difficult pill to swallow that Jonah is actually pleading and begging for the destruction of a city. Because what we find as we, as we read through the Bible, almost always when a prophet goes to, 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 to speak to God and plead with God, they're pleading on behalf of the city. And, and so that's what they're doing. They're going and, and they've brought this prophecy. They've got to send them somewhere. And, and the prophet goes and they plead on behalf. God, please don't destroy them. Now, granted, a lot of times it is their people. It is the people of Israel. And so they're pleading on behalf of them, but, but not always. Think back to maybe Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. So in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is pleading on behalf of, of these two wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 20, what happens is like Abraham is told by God about the plan. So let's just pick up here. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in that city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the richest the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not a judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, I, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And then what, jo or what, uh, what Abraham does is he just continues to work down. He continues to go from 50 to 45 to 40 to 35 to 30. And then in verse 32, finally he says, like, God, don't be mad at me. 
But if you find just 10, because Abraham knows, <laughs> he knows the sinfulness. He's like, if you find just 10, will you, not, will you destroy the city for those 10? And God says, no. Like, I will spare the entire city for the sake of those 10. And so here's Abraham. He's pleading on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's pleading that God will not destroy them. But Jonah, Jonah does the, the complete opposite. Like, Jonah doesn't plead on behalf of the people. He pleads that the people will be destroyed. And really, like, this is a theme that we can kind of see running through the book of Jonah is basically, like, Jonah just does the opposite. Almost always, Jonah does the opposite thing of what he is supposed to do or what he is called to do. And so as we're reading this, and we're reading this reaction, this hatred, this racism, this naturalism that Jonah is experiencing here, I just want us to be real careful. I don't want us to point the finger at Jonah too harshly. Like Jonah is clearly wrong in, in his actions. He's very wrong in what he's doing. But I think it's important for us to, to understand the context of, of what's going on in Jonah's life. I think it's important for us to understand like, the cultural situation that, that Jonah has found himself in. So we can see this from nationally speaking. Like Assyria and Nineveh have been like a thorn in the side of Israel for some time. Like they have treated Israel horribly. Like things have gone absolutely terrible for them. They have tortured the people of God. And now like finally Nineveh and Assyria, they have a weak king and Israel has a powerful king. And so it is basically, it's now or never to, to wipe out these people. Like, they, these guys have been dealing with them for so long, like, it, it's, now's the time to destroy them. And, and so that's probably what's going on nationally and, and personally. We have no idea what the Assyrians have, have done to Jonah personally. They, they could have raped his wife. We don't know. They could have kidnapped Jonah's children and taken them to be slaves. They could have murdered Jonah's brothers and sisters as he fled for his life. Like, we don't know what was going on here. Like, those are all documented things that the people of Assyria did. These are horrible people. Like, but we don't know what's happening. We don't know what Jonah has dealt with. However, here's what we do know. Is it, it shouldn't matter. Someone who has experienced God's grace the way Jonah had, it shouldn't have mattered. It shouldn't have mattered that, that Assyria had, had treated them harshly. It shouldn't have mattered if Jonah had dealt personally with the people of Assyria. Someone who had experienced the grace that Jonah had experienced, he should have been willing to, to extend grace to them. I don't want us to, to miss what was going on here. Like I don't know what has caused Jonah's racism. I don't know what has caused this, this issue, this emotion, this pain in Jonah's life. But here's what we do know. It is very, very abundantly clear that Jonah misunderstands, misinterprets the character of God. This is one of the places where he gets messed up. Look at verse 2 here. It says, He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. This is why. This is why I ran away, God. This is why I didn't want to come because I knew you would do this. God, I did not want to come to Nineveh because I knew you would cave. 
I knew that you wouldn't actually destroy them. That's why I didn't want to come. That's why I wasn't going to be here. And so this phrase that Jonah uses to, to, to hold against God, he says that you are, are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and abounding in steadfast love. This is a phrase that we find throughout Scripture often. And every single time that this phrase is used, it's used in, in praise to God. It's praising him for his character. It's praising him for his goodness. It's praising him because this is who he is. This is the only place in all of the Bible that this is used in a, in a negative sense, that this is used in a, a negative light. So Jonah, he has completely misunderstood and misinterpreted the character of God. Essentially, what Jonah is saying is like, if you were a good God, you would destroy these people. If you were the God that you say you are, you would destroy them. Jonah has misunderstood. He's mistaken God's, God's character for weakness. He, he's thinking like, you know, anything less than wrath is weakness. And I was just thinking about that this week. Have you ever been wronged by someone I think every single one of us have. We've all been there. Is it easy to be slow to anger when you've been treated unfairly? Is it easy to be compassionate when someone has done something against you? Is it easy to be abounding with love for people when they have treated you so horribly? No. I don't think a single one of us would say it's easy. It takes a great amount of strength and control not to do that. Like, I, I am not as merciful as I want to be when people treat me badly. And I, I fail at that more than I would like to admit. So what Jonah sees is God's greatest weakness. It's actually one of his greatest strengths. What Jonah sees is God's compassion, his mercy, his love is one of his greatest weaknesses. It's actually one of his greatest strengths. And there's a great irony here. There's a great irony of what is happening that Jonah is quoting this passage, the statement to God. Because this statement that God is merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and abounding with steadfast love, it actually first appears in, in Exodus chapter 34. And what I love is like this is how God describes himself to, to Moses. And what we're gonna what we're gonna see is like, I don't know if you know the context of that conversation that God and Moses are having, is what has just happened prior to that is Moses has been up on the mountain. He's gotten the Ten Commandments. He's had this moment with God, and he comes down off the mountain, and he sees the people. They have built a golden calf. They have built an idol. They are worshiping it. And God, he, he's furious about this. Like, God is, is devastated about this. He's so angry. He, is, he, said, he says to Moses, I'm going to wipe out all of the Israelites, and I'm going to start again with you. And Moses pleads with God. He pleads on behalf of the people, God, don't do that. Don't do that, God. And, and, and God relents, and God has compassion. And then when God decides to relent, he says this, state, this statement. He says, I am merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and abounding in steadfast love. You see the irony there? Jonah isn't too upset that God was compassionate to the people of Israel. Jonah isn't too upset that God was merciful and slow to anger to the people of Israel. God just, Jonah just doesn't want them to, God to be that for the people of Nineveh. 
So what essentially what is happening here is like Jonah is saying, you know, grace for me, but not for thee. That's, that's what he's saying. He's like, I can have grace, but not them. And I wonder if we've ever done that, if we ever do that in our lives, I wonder if we, we experience the grace of the Father. Maybe we've, maybe we've cheated on a test and, and we, 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 we receive grace and we're so grateful for that and then we see someone else do something and we just want to see them, we want to see them punished. We want to see them deal severely with, with their sin. Maybe we've, maybe we've received grace in some other area of our lives. And yet we see someone else, we see the trouble that they're in, we see what they're, what they're going through, and we say, well, they deserve it. They deserve all the bad that they're dealing with. This is what they have done. And, and we never think about the fact, like, grace for me and not for thee. I mean, as we read through Gen- chapter 2 of, of Jonah, like, it really seems like Jonah is, is quite fond of God's character in the belly of the fish. Like, chapter 2, or verse 2, it says, like, I called out to the Lord, in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to him from the land of the dead, and he heard me. He loves the fact that God is listening to him there. In verse 7, he says, my life was slipping, slipping away. I remembered the Lord. I remembered his goodness. Verse 9 says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vow, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Like Jonah is really thrilled with the character of God. When he has been saved, he is really thrilled with the character of God when he has been the one who has been rescued. But when it's someone else, he's thinking it is a sign of weakness rather than one of his greatest strengths. And what is really happening here is Jonah lacks true repentance. Because here's the thing, friends, is like just doing the right thing after doing the wrong thing isn't repentance if our heart doesn't change if our mind doesn't change, if, if our reasoning doesn't change. And so Jonah goes and he does the right thing, but his heart isn't in it. His heart hasn't been changed. And, and so he lacks true repentance. And God begins to try to work with Jonah through the emotions and the issues that he's dealing with. In verse four, he says, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And God asks Jonah this question twice. He asks him this question and says, is it right for you to be angry about? He gives him this, this question twice. Like God is really trying to help Jonah work through some things. He's help, want, trying to help Jonah to, to see some things differently, to, to work through, to process his emotions as he goes to this time of prayer. He's trying to help Jonah have some perspective. Really, what is happening here? is Jonah has failed to remember and failed to realize how forgiven he has been. And like, it shouldn't be too hard for Jonah to realize how forgiven he has been. Like, it wasn't very long ago that he spent three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. Like, he could look at his skin that's probably still color changed, that that might be wrinkled still, I don't know. It, It wouldn't be hard for him to think back to when he had received grace. And I think if we're all honest, if we're looking at ourselves in the mirror, it is not very hard for us to think back to a time when we have received grace. It actually isn't that difficult of an exercise. And here's the things, friends. We will never experience the love and the grace of the Father until we admit 
that we need it just as much as anyone else. We will never be able to experience God's grace and love until we admit I need it just as bad as they do. I need it just as bad as as she does. I need God's grace and mercy just as much as, as he does. Jonah is never going to truly experience God's forgiveness and his compassion until he realizes that he needed, needs it just as much as Nineveh does. Brene Brown in her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, shares this quote, and I've shared this with you before, and I, I think it's so powerful. She says this. She says, we are all those people. That's the truth. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair from being those people, the ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want our kids playing with, the ones we don't want living next door. That's the truth, is that we are all those people. We are them. Look around. Like, we are all those people. And until we realize that, until we admit, until we acknowledge that, we will never experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness of our Father. If you are not the most sinful person that you know, then you don't know yourself very well. If you look at your life and you don't think you're the most sinful person that you know, you need to look in the mirror a little bit deeper and a little bit harder. I love what St. Augustine, of, of early church father, says in his book, Confessions. That's one of my favorite quotes. He says, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. He fails to admit it. And, and the only way that we can experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness of the Father is to admit that we are those people, that we are in need of it just as much as everyone else. And that is what Jonah has failed to do Look at verse, verse 5. Then Jonah went to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen. It's likely that Jonah is literally waiting to see if God changes his mind again. Like I just picture Jonah sitting up on, sitting there and waiting and ticking days off the calendar for 40 days trying to see if, if God is going to go and, and destroy them. I just picture him sitting there and hoping that the repentance wasn't genuine. That the, when the Ninevites repented, that they won't actually stick to it and they'll go back to their violence and God will destroy them. What is painfully clear is that Jonah has been given grace, but he doesn't give grace. Like Jonah has experienced grace himself, but he, he fails to extend grace to other people. And Jesus, he tells a parable that, that reminds me of this in, in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18, Peter has asked Jesus a question about how many times he should forgive other people. And, and Peter says, should I do it up to seven times? And, and Jesus says, no, 77 times. And to help Peter wrap his mind around this type of forgiveness, he tells them the story. In Matthew 18, pick up in verse 24. So there's this, this king who, who's trying to settle his debts. And in verse 24, it says this, In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. I mean, I think that's the story of all of our lives. We all have a debt that we cannot pay. We all have a price that we can't afford. And so his master ordered 
that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. And his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Catch that phrase. He was filled with pity. You could also say compassion. This is the way that the God feels about us. He's just filled with compassion and merciful towards us. And if we ended there, like that's a really, and they lived happily ever after, but the story doesn't end there. Verse 28 goes on and says, when, a man, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow or servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But the creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And when the king told him what had happened, when they told, and they told the king what had happened. Here's the thing is when we have experienced forgiveness and we don't extend it to other people, people notice, people see that and they see it in here in this story. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? Then the king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That is what your heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Here's the thing, church. Forgiven people forgive people. Just want to make sure we, we hear that and hear that again. Forgiven people forgive people. And as we read through the Gospels, what we find is like Jesus often connects our forgiveness from the Father with our willingness to forgive other people. And the reason that Jesus is doing this isn't like, Jesus isn't teaching like some kind of karma. Like, you know, what, comes, what goes around comes around. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Like, Jesus isn't teaching us karma here. He's teaching us, he's letting us know, is like, this is the way that it works. It's like when we have been forgiven, we forgive other people. Out of the overflow of the forgiveness that we have received from the Father, we pour out forgiveness on others. And Jonah fails to see how forgiven he has been. He fails to see the way that God has been merciful to him and compassionate to him. And God goes on and he tries to help Jonah to see things the way that he sees things. Let's read verses 6 through 9. And the Lord God arranged for the leafy, a leafy plant to grow there, and as soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I mean, there's, there's not much that sitting back in the shade will, it'll help a lot with the troubles that we're dealing with, and Jonah is, is experiencing that. He's sitting in the shade. Things are a little better. Verse 7, but God also arranged for a worm the next day at dawn, and the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the hot sun grew, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And so what we're seeing is God is trying to help Jonah see things the way that he sees them. 
He's trying to help Jonah like really come to grips with the heart that, that, that he has. And like I love like this as we read through this, this story, this entire narrative, like it is just saturated with God's sovereignty and God's power. I mean, just, just look at who, how God is sovereign. Like God knows, like Jonah is going, God knows this is going to go on with Jonah, but he still gives him another chance anyway. God knows, like in, in 150 years, the people of Nineveh are actually going to be destroyed because their repentance doesn't last. And God knows that. But God's heart is still for compassion for these people. So God, he's sovereign. He understands. He, he sees this. But he's also powerful. I mean, just look at some of the, the little things that God has power over in this, in this book. He has power over the winds and the waves and fish and plants and worms and, and sand and sun. God is so powerful. A God who has that type of sovereignty and that type of power and is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that is a God that we can trust. That is a God that we can believe in. Look at verse 9 again. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Don't miss the irony here. If you remember, what was Jonah upset about at the start of this chapter? Jonah was upset that Nineveh wasn't destroyed. Now, Jonah is upset and angry that the plant was destroyed. And so it's this great irony here. And at the heart of this, it's like it's selfishness. It's, ex- it's exposing the selfishness and the pride and the greed that Jonah has. It's like Jonah is thinking like what's going on is like, okay, these people of Nineveh, it really doesn't affect me. So I don't care what you do to them, God. But this plant, it is affecting me. So I definitely care about what you're doing. And I wonder if that's ever our mindset. Is like our, our compassion it wanes. Our compassion, it, it lacks for people that it really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect us. As long as it doesn't affect us, it's, it's whatever. But that's not what we see here. Pick up at the last two verses here. The Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Here's the conclusion. Jonah, the way you feel about the plant is the way that God God felt about the people of Nineveh. Except God created the people of Nineveh. God loves the people of Nineveh. God knows every single hair on the head of every single person in Nineveh. God can count the people of Nineveh. God knows every animal in Nineveh. God wants a relationship with the people in Nineveh. God was willing to send his son to die for the people of Nineveh, but, but minor insignificant details, right? And here's what, what God is getting at. Jonah, the way you feel about the plant is the way that I feel about these people, but a million times more. And like God is just being so gentle with Jonah here. He's not being harsh. He's not being rude. He's just slowly working his way through this. And the book ends with the final of three questions that that God asked Jonah. He just says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? 
And that's it. The book ends. And we are left to ponder the question. What happens to Jonah? Where does Jonah go from here? Like, we don't have that. We don't have a conclusion for that. We are left to ponder this question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? This is where the book leaves us. And as I ponder that question, my answer is yes. God should feel sorry for such a great city because if he doesn't feel sorry for such a great city, if God doesn't have compassion for a city of the size of Nineveh, for that many people, how could I hope for God to have compassion on me? How could I even dream and hope that God would care about me if God doesn't care for this great city of Nineveh? How could he ever care about me? But the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the good news of the gospel. And as we read through this book, like we see like God's heart, God's love for, for humanity. And really, like all of humanity can fall into three groups, and every single one of them are identified here. And we see that like, God cares about them. First, the, the, the religious people, like Jonah, who know the right things, do the, know, know the Bible, know the Word of God. Like God cares for them. God cared for Jonah. There's, there's the spiritual, the people who don't really know God, but might think there is a God. We can, they are, they're captured in the sailors. God has a heart for them. And, and what ends up happening is they end up worshiping God after they see his power. And then the people of Nineveh are the people in complete and utter darkness. Don't know God at all. God has a heart for those people. God has a heart for all people. It is his heart. And, and, and Paul in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, verse 15, here's what he writes. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. We are them. We are all those people. And what we need to do is we look in the mirror. We all need to accept that we are Jonah, and we are in desperate need for Jesus. We, we need mercy, compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We need the Holy Spirit to come in us and empower us and help us to, to grow and to become more like Jesus and, and less like Jonah. We need to pick up the mirror and see some ways in our lives that we have been forgiven and, and ask God to, to identify some ways that we need to forgive other people. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to get ready to, to go into a time of communion. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you.